This is the Made It in Music Podcast. I'm Seth Mosley, and this is Show 135. Welcome to the podcast, where we bring you tools and resources to help you go full-time in music and to stay in. The music business is a roller coaster ride, changing faster than any of us can pay attention to. We all need a competitive edge to stay ahead and to stay successful. What's working, what isn't, and what's coming? That's exactly what this show is all about. Back again with Full Circle Music, the Made It in Music podcast. All right, I have a simple question to pose to you. Does getting on a big-budget music TV show like The Voice, American Idol, America's Got Talent, or Songland guarantee success? Of course not. Sometimes, still though, people think that a TV show like that can somehow fulfill all of their hopes and dreams in music. And while it's true that shows like that can certainly help, we want to make sure that you guys understand the reality of what actually happens with musicians on that kind of media. Don't get me wrong, a lot of it is definitely really, really good. We just know that sometimes people have misconceptions, and today we are interviewing Emily Ann Roberts. She found tons of success on The Voice, and now she is pursuing a career as a country artist. And just like most musicians, the journey still isn't easy, but she has conquered quite a lot so far, and it's time for you to hear all about it. So let's join the interview and hear about the truth behind The Voice and success. Here on the Made It Music Podcast with Emily Ann Roberts from The Voice, an amazing rocket ship to the moon country artist <laughs> that I've had the pleasure of working with. And uh, man, thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh my goodness, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Ever since I first heard you sing in the studio, I was like, this girl is literally one of the best singers I've ever oh heard. Oh my goodness. On well, Earth. you're sweet. Thank you. And I'm not just saying that. I say that to other people all the time too. So, <laughs> Well, thanks to you. Seriously, you, that first day that we worked together and, and I got to sing in the studio here, I, you like pushed me to like go for notes that I wouldn't normally go for. Mm. And I mean, that has like opened up such a new world for me. Seriously. I don't know if I've ever even told you that, but um, That's awesome. yeah, that yeah. was it. That was an awesome day. I've so enjoyed working with you. Yeah. So good. So Let's go all the way back to the beginning. People, people obviously know you from The Voice, but I want people to hear the full, the full backstory. <laughs> so what was the first moment that music impacted you and you knew that you had to pursue it? Oh, my goodness. Well, I've loved music my whole life, and um, I always knew that I loved like country and bluegrass music. I remember um, riding in the car seat with my dad, um, and he would be driving around and play like old Ricky Skaggs records and Blue Highway and um, Tim O'Brien and Daryl Scott. And I would sit and learn all the harmony parts. And I would like sit in the back of the car and sing along. And I absolutely loved music. It always just brought so much joy to my life. But I think the moment that I realized that music was something so much bigger than me and something that I knew I had to do was um, actually my grandmother had Alzheimer's. And uh, when I was in the eighth grade, it got really bad and we had to move her into um, a nursing home. And she got to the point where she like wouldn't recognize us. She didn't know any of us when we would go and visit her. But one Sunday we went and they had someone come to the nursing home who was leading hymns. And my Nana used to sing and she would sing in the choir and she was a soprano and she had such a beautiful voice. And 
she was singing every single word to How Great Thou Art. Like they had passed out little songbooks and hers was upside down. And she was singing like every word to every verse. And I just remember crying because I was like, oh my goodness, she doesn't even know where she is right now. Like she doesn't know anything but she can remember every word to this song. And I started looking into it and they say that the last thing that a person loses is music, like melody and rhyme and rhythm, all that stuff. Like that's the last thing that they lose. And I just realized like, oh my goodness, this is so powerful. And this is something that I feel like I've always loved to do. I feel like something God created me to do. And especially seeing that in the eighth grade, I was like, this is huge. I have to, I have to pursue this. And that was a huge moment in my life that really made a big impact. That is amazing. And, and I've heard, I've heard those stories. That's so cool to hear yeah. you share that. That was literally that close to home for you. Yeah. Cause yeah, you hear about the, that people with dementia and then they put a song on and it unlocks. That's the powerful thing with music <laughs> is it just does something that nothing else can I do. I know it's crazy. Even if you like different languages and like, I know. I'm passionate about global music and like music from every part of the world. And it is a universal language that even if you don't know the language, people can still engage with it. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. So from that eighth grade forward, (laughs) were you just like, okay, I've put me on stage, put me in coach. (laughs) How did you, how did you pursue it? Okay. Well, the first place I ever sang was in church. And then, um, I auditioned for the talent show at my middle school, uh, in the sixth grade. And so I couldn't play any instrument yet. And so I just had somebody like make a track and I sang, I didn't make it and I was devastated. And so I went to the teacher and I said, what could I do to improve so that maybe next year I can make it? And she said, well, if you played an instrument, maybe you would have made it. And I was like, fine. And so I went home and I got an old guitar out of our closet. And my dad knew like GCD on the guitar. And he started playing and I was like, what? You're a guitar player. That sounds like every song on the radio. So I had him teach me those three chords. I started taking lessons for about like three months. Um, and then I just kind of started watching YouTube videos and teaching myself. And then that next year, my seventh grade year, I sang in the talent show and won. So um, that was like my redemption moment. But after that, it kind of gave me the confidence to just get out there. And so I started playing, really, it's funny, the first place I played in Knoxville was a Mexican restaurant called El Charo's. And so I would sing Started at the big time. I started at the big time. I would sing at the Mexican restaurant like three times a month. And then I would just do any competition, like any local competition or any competition I could possibly do that they would let me be a part of. Started singing in the choir at school and I kept singing at church. And then I started singing at some different restaurants around town. Like I would just sing anywhere they would let me. And then my dad actually would record videos of me sometimes and post them on YouTube. And we never thought anything about it, but that's actually how The Voice discovered me. Really? Yeah, was through YouTube. Was it from like the Mexican restaurant? or No, actually. Where, where, was, the, where was the performance It at? was crazy. And this is still up on YouTube. It probably needs to get taken down. But I'm, I'm writing this down. <laughs> yes, you have to go find I'm it. I'm going to post a link to it in the show notes. It's so it was like the after I had gotten my own little like mic and like a, my dad bought like an old amp from um, like a pawn shop that I could plug my guitar into. And so we literally like set it up in my bonus room one night and I covered Carrie Underwood's. Um, something in the water Uh, and posted on YouTube. And then a couple months later, we just got an email from a casting producer on The Voice. They had seen me sing something in the water and invited me to go to to Atlanta for a callback audition. Had that video 
already kind of gone viral, so to no, speak? No, not at like- all. I don't know how they found me. I really don't know how they found me because it wasn't even something... Like, when I say we would, like, throw up videos on YouTube, we would literally just, like, throw something out on YouTube. Like, it wasn't something that I was trying. No, it was on, like, an iPad, recorded on, like, iPads (laughs) and cell phones. (laughs) I always encourage people with that, too. I'm like, I did not have some type of, like, viral YouTube in order to get their attention. I really don't know how they found me. but put um, it out there. Just put it out there. Yeah. Yeah. So something in the water, they, they called you... Walk me through that process, just because I think there's so many people that are interested in what happens. Like, when you go into this black box, okay, it's crazy. casting director contacts me, <laughs> what happens? Like, step by step. So, I got that email in February of 2015 and went to Atlanta for a callback audition. I auditioned, and basically, they said, like, if you hear from us, then we'll have more information for you. If you don't hear from us, it's a no. Mm. So, like, I think they gave me, like, maybe it was, like, the end of April, And they said, like, if you don't hear by April 22nd, then it's a no. Mm. And so, like, I would just, like, I was walking around. I went home and I was like, oh, my goodness, this is awful. Like, and it got so close to the end of April. And then I just got a call. One night I was driving to my friend's house to hang out with her. And I got a call with a um, California area code. Mm. And at first I didn't even, almost didn't answer it. And then I was like, (gasps) Oh my goodness, that might be them. And I answered and they said, is this Emily Ann Roberts? I said, yes. And they said, well, this is like your callback. We want you to come and audition in LA in front of all the executive producers. So um, then I got on an airplane for the first time in my whole life. And that was the first yes, time that was the flown? first time I'd ever flown on an airplane. Were you nervous? I was so nervous. I was so nervous. But me and my dad flew out to LA. I was there for three days. I auditioned for a panel of all their executive producers. We had to like take all of these tests and stuff to just like make sure that we knew if we made it what we were getting ourselves into because it was such a like just a crazy stressful situation. And then at the end of that trip, that very last day, they pulled a handful of us into a room and said, you've all been slotted for a blind audition. Mm. They sent us home. That was in like um, May. And then I flew out in June. I was there for a whole month, the whole month of June preparing for the blind audition. And then my actual blind audition was like on July 3rd. We filmed it and then I had to fly back home. And it's so nuts. All of this stuff is going on. I can't say a word about it to anyone. So it's like, I've done a blind audition that's like pre-recorded, obviously, but like, then I go back home and I'm like, I'm gearing up to go back to high school and nobody knows anything that I've been doing all summer long. Uh, so then I guess right before I started, I missed maybe like the first two weeks of school, the first two weeks in August to film the battle rounds and the knockout rounds. And so all of that was already filmed by the time the show aired, um, in I think September. And so when the show aired, I was home. We were all home. All the contestants were home. So like the night my blind audition aired, I had been at school that day and I went to school the next day. Just did, high school. Did people see it? And they were like, how are you here right now? Yes, like, it was crazy. It was nuts. So we actually had like a viewing party and I invited some friends from school. But then, yeah, I went back the next day and they had like said stuff over the intercom. Like when they were doing the morning announcements, yeah. they like said like, congrats to Emily Ann Roberts. And it was really crazy because I always went by just Emily. Mm. And then on the show, I decided like, to throw in my middle name and be Emily Ann. Hmm. Um, and so all of my teachers would call on me and be like, Emily Ann? And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> like yesterday you called me Emily. But anyways, um, that was crazy. And so then after 
all of the like pre-recorded stuff aired. They had us back for the live rounds and I left I left maybe the beginning of October and I didn't come home until December 16th. Wow. And basically when we got the email it was nuts. It was such a crazy experience because it's it's kind of like you're on your toes because we would get an email like two weeks before we flew out and it would say like that one specific to get us ready for the um, live rounds. It basically said you could either be here for a week and get eliminated or you could be here till the finale. So pack accordingly. And yeah. it's like, what? So I could be gone for a week or I could be gone until the end of the year. It was nuts. But yeah, I went out in October and I didn't come back home until December 16th was the finale. Wow. It was crazy. That's so nuts. (laughs) It was a whole year long. I mean, it started in February and then it was done in December. And so you ended up making it all the way down. Your finalist ended up being on Team Blake. Yes. Which was amazing. Can you talk about that at all? What was it like working with him on the show? He is incredible. I really can't say enough good things about him. And so many people, that's like their number one question when people come and meet me. They're like, oh, is Blake really as great in person as he is on TV? And I'm like, yes, he is. And I can say that complete and like full honesty. But he really cares. And he would actually take the time to help you make your song the best that it could be. And he loved that I had a passion for kind of the more classic country sound and bluegrass. And he supported that 100%, which meant the world to me. Um, And we really did work together on song selection. Um, When we went and rehearsed, like he would talk with the band to make it more my style if it wasn't. And he, he just really invested in all of us and all the people on his team. So that was incredible working with him. And then all of the other coaches were awesome too. Gwen Stefani was on my season, um, Pharrell, and then Adam, of course. And so it was, it was awesome. And they brought in so many advisors. I got to meet Dolly Parton, Mm. which was amazing. They brought her in to just talk to us. And she sat down and talked to us for like two hours, just sat and talked and she was like I'm not going to give any advice but I'll tell you what I've learned and stuff like that like she always would say like I'm not giving advice but I'll tell you what I've learned um and she is like the littlest thing in the world she just like crossed her little legs and she was like it was like seeing a unicorn or something when Blake walked her around the corner it was literally like I know Dolly Parton's real but is she really real like to see her in real life is crazy and of course I'm an East Tennessee girl so she is like it for me. Everybody that I got to work with, um, as far as like advisors and mentors on the show was so beneficial. I mean, I've told everybody, yes, it was a crazy experience and it's been even crazier kind of learning how to adapt post voice, but I would not trade it for anything because it was like a crash course of like just working under like high intense intensity like situations and interviews and media and photo shoots and just all of it it was it was such a great learning experience yeah well and I can tell I mean you even the first the first time we met I mean you can often tell when when an artist is is new because there's just little things that are like sort of a giveaway that like okay this person's pretty green which is not a bad thing you've always carried yourself like okay this this is somebody who seems like she's been doing it for a lot longer than she well, has, well. or a lot longer than you than you look. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I definitely have to thank the voice for that. It was they really, like I said, it was like a crash course. I learned so much. Yeah. So, what I'd love to dive into in in this conversation mm-hmm. is, I think people think a lot of people have the perception that you get on this show and then your life is set, your career is made for you. 
you get on TV, it's done. You don't have to do any work. You sit back and people just start following you and buying your music. But that's not the no, case. No, it's not the at case. At all. That's literally like the beginning. It is the beginning. So yeah. you ended up, uh, how we met was through um, your manager, Starstruck. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did that happen through the show, just the relationship with them? Well, actually, it's crazy. The night of the finale, Blake pulled me aside before the show started. And um, he said, my manager wants to meet with you. And so I was like, oh, okay. And so, um, yeah, after the show, Blake put me in touch with his manager, Narvel, over at Starstruck. And um, we started working together. I met with some different managers, actually. And um, I met with Narvel. And he told me, you know, so many people acted like, okay, you've had this exposure. Now you have these people following you. And we need to feed them now. Like, we need to feed them yesterday. Mm. And I was so in that mind frame, too. I was like, oh, my goodness, you're right. I've got to get music out, like, right now if I want to keep these people, like, plugged in. And I talked with Narvel, and he said, you know, your priority needs to be making the best music that is authentic to you and says exactly what you want to say. He said, whether that takes you six months or whether that takes you five years. He was like, you're 16 years old. Yeah. You have plenty of time to figure it out. And um, he was like, it'll it'll be right when it's right. And he said, you don't want to rush something like this. And I thought, that sounds really wise. <laughs> you yeah. know, everybody else was really in this like kind of speedy mindset, which I understand. But yeah, that became our main priority. And And you're right. So many people do think you go on the TV show and then you're set. And I think that they make you feel that way on The Voice, which I think that they need to to make you feel like, oh, my goodness, yes, this is really happening for me. And to an extent, yes, it is opening up so many doors that you would never be able to walk through without that platform. But the real work does definitely start after the show. It's really crazy. I came in second, and I was back in high school that January after I got home in December. Um, I ended up graduating a year early, but I had only ever written, like, maybe 10 songs by myself. Mm. I'd never co-written before. I never recorded anything in studio other than on The Voice, but, like, never my own stuff. And so that's what we started doing. I graduated high school in May of my junior year, and then I— came to Nashville in June and I started co-writing. In my mind, I thought like, ah, this'll, this won't take long. Like by in a year, I'll be able to have my first EP out. Yeah. Okay. That was three years ago. (laughs) Um, and so it did take a minute. Um, but I wouldn't trade it for anything and I've learned so much and I've grown so much, but I really do wish I could sit down because there are so many young people on The Voice, so many teenagers who don't know anything but singing in their local competitions or restaurants like me. I didn't know anything about the music business. Um, I just knew that I wanted to sing. And I've always told my family, I wish I could sit down with some of these kids when they get off the show and just say, okay, take a deep breath. Everything starts now. Like this has been incredible and it's opened up so many doors, but, but that was just the beginning. Like it wasn't your whole career or it wasn't like the top for you well you're doing that right now whoever's watching this is is that Mm -hmm. so man and and that's not just the voice that's like i think we as just humans romanticize these moments of like our this is when we made it that's our whole title of our podcast made it in music but rarely is it ever a moment it's a series of things and if you get those moments great Mm -hmm. but it is not about a moment like 
it could be even small things. Like people feel like they, they maybe want a, a battle of the bands in their hometown and they're like, I've made it I've now. made it, yeah. Or, or, or getting a record deal. Like, yeah. Like that kind of stuff. People romanticize that and they or fantasize that and they yeah. think that if I just get this one thing, that thing is going to change everything or if I get a booking agent or if I get a manager. Mm-hmm. But – you know, this is your this is your chance. You're sit, you're sitting yeah. in front of, of a, a group of young girls who just got out of that. What do you say to them? Well, I would say kind of what Narvel said to me. Instead of feeling there's no rush, you know, I feel like so often, at least for me, I feel rushed. Like if if I um, don't get something out soon, that I'm behind or something like that. And there is no rush at, at all. Um, I think that timing is everything, and I think that coming up with a product that is authentic and um, something that, like I've always, to- I've always told myself, okay, if I release this song and nobody listens to it but me, am I going to be happy with it? If it never sees the light of day, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Am I going to be happy with it? What are my motives behind this? Is it because it's real and it's me, or is it because I'm I'm trying to chase success or what I think other people might? want to hear you know what I'm saying because that's something that I've I've really kind of been so adamant about with the music that I'm making I'm like you know I could release a song that is that could be the next number one biggest hit ever but if I hate it and it's not me then am I going to be content at the end of the day you know what I'm saying so I guess it would be just take your time and really figure out what it is that makes you different you know there's only I'm not trying to be cliche but there is only one you and there's only one person who sees things the way you see them and thinks the way you think and can deliver a message and an emotion the way that you can and so I think that leaning into whatever it is that makes you different is so important I mean I think that was something that I struggled with so much when I came to town because I am chasing something that's not really happening on country radio today. And I have country radio dreams. I mean, I want, I want to be on country radio. And my biggest issue was listening to people who said, okay, we need to take what you do and make it work. Mm. And yes, maybe, but it made me put myself in a box of like, okay, well, let me listen to what other people are doing and how can I somehow copy that? No, I don't think that that's what it's about. I mean, when something's good, something's good. And you, right. it doesn't matter. Whenever new people come on the scene and it's different, it's like, oh my goodness, I've never heard this before. Well, it's because they were true to them. They weren't trying to be the next so-and-so who we've already got on the radio. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so I guess it would just be to take your time and really... Focus in on what makes you different and know that it's a journey. And the voice is in whatever platform, whether it's American Idol or whatever you got to do, if you were on that, anybody who's watching, it's awesome. And it is an awesome opportunity, but it's just the beginning, you know? That's so good. That's great, great advice. Almost wish I would have had it when I was 16 before (laughs) jumping into the music business. But hey, that's why we're here. That's That's why why we're we're having this conversation. Um, So... One of the things that I've appreciated about watching you and getting to know you and getting to know your story and your work ethic is that it's 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 that like okay you got off the show probably were on some you know mountain high and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden you realize okay well I've actually got to work like yeah. I've got to still do the work and so ever since I've known you I mean you've been out playing shows you've been out doing tours you know even in a sphere like Southern Gospel mm-hmm. that that really isn't your end goal. Mm-hmm. But you're out working because that's what you do. That's what yeah. artists do. That's how you get yourself out there. You're not waiting for somebody to go just put your song on the radio and 
all of a sudden you don't have to do anything. Yeah. Can you speak to that and maybe the, the patience and the work ethic and like, how do you, how do you think about those things? Well, um, for sure. I mean, that's something that I knew I had to do and I'm, I'm very type A and it's good and it's bad because I definitely have the mindset of like, okay, if I, if I do it, then it'll be done right, which is so bad. <laughs> and I know that that's not always true, but I feel that way sometimes. Like I always want to have some type of like control. I'm a, such a control freak. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's something that I definitely knew that I had to get busy at as soon as I got off the show, whether it was writing, whether it was recording, whether it was coming up with some type of content to release or touring, like what you said, I'm actually, I've been doing, um, I've been a part of, goodness gracious, I guess I'm on my second Southern Gospel tour. Um, and I started that maybe three years ago. And when we say tour, we kind of like span them out over long amounts of time. But, um, I've been all over the place. We did um, a girls and guitars tour, and then now we're doing something called the beyond amazing tour. And it has been incredible. And it's been a way for me to continue to perform and grow um, with my, my stage presence and everything. And, you know, my faith is something that is so important to me. So it has been such a blessing to be able to go and do that. But then at the same time, I mean, I've been playing country shows like crazy too. And I know that that is truly the best way to connect with people. That's what I've learned so much. You know, whether it's on social media or whether you are on a stage in front of people, if you can connect with somebody, I mean, that's how you make an impact. And for me, music is all about making an impact and hopefully a positive impact in somebody's life. It's never been about like, oh, I just want to stand on a stage and sing. But it's like, I want to encourage and inspire the way artists encourage and inspired me. And so you know, I think that that is such a crucial part in, in doing what I do. It's just getting out there, getting FaceTime with people. If I have to stand, and it's something that I'm, it's probably not good, but I absolutely am so, I don't know, passionate about it, um, is standing at my merch table after a show and meeting anybody and everybody who wants to come and talk to me. And there are nights that people are packed up and out the door and I'm still standing there talking and haven't torn down a single t-shirt. And it's because I want people to know that I appreciate them and I appreciate them coming to a show and I appreciate them even wanting to talk. You know what I'm saying? It's like I said, it's all about that connection. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know if that answered your question, but no, that's kind of- No, it absolutely does. And yeah. I just want to recognize that of like, there's so many people that aren't willing to do those things mm -hmm. and to stand there for three hours after the show's done. And you also hit on something that's really key is that the show itself is not the thing. Like it's a means to an end mm -hmm. while you're doing these Southern gospel shows. And it's, it's obviously it's benefiting you on, on lots of levels. Yeah. It's giving you work, mm -hmm. but you're, you're seeing it as a tool to just even get better as a performer oh, to get my better goodness. at your craft. Yes, for sure. And I've, I've noticed such a growth and even like working with like other musicians. So just knowing how to work with a band. I never did that. It was just me and my guitar. And it's helping me be organized, Seth. Oh my goodness. I am like <laughs> so unorganized. And like I am like booking hotels for us and I'm doing like all the logistics stuff. Like, okay, everybody needs to be here at this time. And like, here's a Dropbox full of all the songs and here's the set list and here's like the schedule and all this stuff that like, like three years ago would have made my head spin. But it's helped me grow up really and yeah. just learn... Um, all that goes into this. It's so nuts. 
when I was growing up and I would go see Miranda Lambert in concert, I just thought like, oh, she gets to get up on stage and sing. But there is so much more that goes into this. I mean, you are running a business, you know? And so, yeah, it's helped me. It's helped me grow up a lot. But yeah, I've, I've gotten so much just practice on stage and just being able to talk to people and really um, get more comfortable in front yeah. of people. So would you say that even if it's a whatever crappy show or like there's not that many people there, it's not even like the maybe the type of show you want to be playing. Mm-hmm. Would you recommend people do it anyway yeah. like when they're starting out? For sure, when you're starting out. I mean, even now, like there are shows that I have scheduled for this year that I know are not going to benefit me financially and are probably going to be really tough on me just physically and they're far away. And But I know that the experience and um, the exposure is going to be so valuable it doesn't even matter. And so I think sometimes you have to weigh that and say, okay, you know, I might not make any money. I might even lose money on this. And um, I might, it, it might not be exactly what I want to do, but I know that it's going to be worth it. Anytime that you get to get, at least for me, that you get to get on stage and just be a little bit more comfortable um, and have even a tiny bit more experience is so valuable. Mm. Because I I look at that, like there are so many shows that I would love to be a part of right now, but I'm like, you know what? All of these that I'm doing right now are preparing me for that moment. Mm. And if I wasn't doing it because I thought like, oh, well, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm too good for that or whatever. No, you know, I mean, like I said, that that's the stepping stone and it's preparing me for the big thing, whatever that is. That's good. And there's just, there really is no shortcuts to becoming a master at anything. Mm -mm. And stage performance is definitely one of those, one of those things. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm sure as Dolly Parton would attest to, (laughs) had her 10,000 hours and then some. Yeah. Um, Goodness. Let's talk about another thing that you do really well that I, that I, think so much so many of us struggle with is, is social media mm-hmm. like how do you stay on top of it how do you make something that looks really good strategies yeah what are some things that you've kind of learned there well it's been a crazy journey trying to figure it out and I'm sure everybody feels that way like oh god like just trying to figure out like how can we get the most engagement and um are people plugged in with what I'm like talking about and what I'm releasing and it's definitely been like a journey and um I've tried a bunch of different things, but honestly, what I have seen be the most beneficial is just sharing my life with people, whether that is awesome content of, and like photos when I can get them on stage or whether I have a photo shoot or whatever, like, yes, those are incredible, but I think people love seeing real, Mm. like something real. And that's something that I have, have tried to balance because there's definitely like the glamorous moments that you want to share where you're able to get ready. And like my Opry debut, I got like all Mm. fancy and had a fancy dress. And I like made a big, I posted like I think like four or five pictures in like the same, like one, one day, yeah. which is like definitely a thing. And I think that it's something that people want to see, but they also want to see, like I'm sitting at home today and I haven't even put on makeup yet. And I'm just journaling or I'm reading or I'm, because it makes it real. I think that the thing that makes social media seem so difficult is the fact that it seems like too good to be true. Like, I feel like everyone feels like they have to make their life look extra cool and something worth following and something worth being a part of. And yes, I think that there are those moments of everyone's life that, that you can share that are like that. But I think people love seeing something real. Yeah. And so I just try to keep a balance of that. And my Instagram stories are like 
a huge outlet for realness from me because yeah. I'll just get on there and talk. And um, most of the time, like by the end of me talking and ranting on my Instagram story, I'm like, I should delete this. Like I sound like an idiot. But so many people come up to me at my like shows or they'll DM me and be like, oh my goodness, this made my day. Like you're so goofy and I was having a hard day and it made me laugh. And I'm like, okay, well, if me acting like a dummy on Instagram brightens somebody's day, then that's good enough. Yeah. So, well, that, that's what I was going to ask because there's a place for both. Like yeah. in your, in your, at least this is what I've, Instagram wisdom, if, if there is, <laughs> like your feed is like the more curated. Mm-hmm. It, it all has maybe a look to it. Yes. Even if you're sharing realness, it probably still has to be somewhat curated, I would mm-hmm. imagine. Or may, maybe not. You could say, no, that's not how I think about it. Mm-hmm. And then the stories are more just, that's where you get raw and yeah. real. Is that, is that how you kind of look at it? Well, a little bit. Um, definitely, yeah. But... <sighs> Also, I think that because I went through a stage where I was like, I need a feed theme. And so I went through all of that where I wanted all of my posts to be like real, like cohesive and look good and be like aesthetically pleasing. And then I started like, honestly, I just started looking at the people who I thought were killing it on social media. And some of them, yes, had a feed theme. But like there's one girl in particular, I always talk about her and she's a blogger. Her name's Olivia Rink, but she has the best content. Like it, she doesn't have a a theme, but every photo is just like killer and it's so creative and it inspires me so much. And, um, you can tell that like, she's not just out saying like, Oh, take my picture. I'm a blogger. But she is like sitting down and really putting thought into everything she posts. And that really made like an impact on me. I was like, you know, I don't know if it all has to be so cohesive. I just think that I just need to post great stuff. Yeah. And if it is just like a great selfie, then great. Or if it's a great, just clear, pretty picture of what I'm doing that day or of my guitar or of my cowboy boots or like whatever I'm posting. I just think that, at least for me, I feel like don't get so hung up on like the cohesiveness. Yeah. But I mean, it definitely helps, but I don't think it's like the you, thing. you don't have to have it. Yeah, I don't think so. So do you with, and this is, I guess, your, your two big platforms are Instagram and Facebook, yes. right? Yes. So what are some things to do differently when you're doing Facebook versus Instagram? I love how Facebook is, um, like, you can have all your tour dates. That's something that I, like, really hone into on Facebook because you can't do that on Instagram. And so, like, I make sure that my whole calendar is completely updated all the time on Facebook. And then Facebook Live is huge because you can get on there and chat with people or even perform live, and it stays as, like, a post. Whereas on Instagram, you can save it for, like, 24 hours if you want to, but it's not as... I don't feel like it's as like legit as Facebook Live. Yeah. And I think that going live is something every single time I go live on Instagram or Facebook, I gain so many followers. Really? I don't know what it is about it. And especially on, on either Instagram or Facebook. Both of them. Yeah. yeah. Whenever I go live, it just I feel like I always gain a ton of followers. Um and I can just be doing like I do crazy stuff on live. I just do real stuff. And sometimes um like I'll be getting ready. I'll be doing my makeup or I'll get on there and actually like sing some of my songs or do some like covers or do a Q&A or just hang out and talk. Um and I think that it's something just like I said about connecting. It's something that helps people just feel like they're getting a glimpse into just real Well, it's life. the non, non-produced version. Yes. They've, they've seen you on TV. They see the music videos. They see all that stuff. They hear the records. Mm-hmm. But the connection is 
is yeah. the the raw authenticity of, yeah. of those lives. That's awesome. As we're wrapping up, I want to ask a little bit about uh, this this whole conversation that we're always having of being a woman in music, being a woman specifically in country music, mm-hmm. and being a young woman in country music. How, how do you how do you feel about that? Like, what are the challenges with it? How do you, how are you overcoming them? How is your team? Yeah. overcoming them? Or do you just not even think about it at all and just like whatever happens, happens? Well, I feel like it's kind of a, a mix of definitely strategy that like we use to just kind of fight against it and against like all the pushback that I don't know, I think that women get. <laughs> but also I, I do kind of have to surrender it a little bit because I could make myself crazy over it. And I know that one day we actually wrote a song that kind of stemmed from just the struggle of that because I feel like there's this kind of thing in Nashville where it almost feels like if a record label or if a company has a girl, then they have their girl mm. and then that's it. So sometimes it almost feels like if another girl is succeeding, you're failing. Like her success is your failure, which is not the case. Mm. But that's something that I for sure struggled with because, yeah, I felt like if someone else, if another girl was killing it, I was like, well, crap. What if she kicks me out of my spot? Mm. As if there are spots. You know what I'm saying? But that's kind of how it feels because of the way like women aren't on country radio like men. I feel like there's... So many dudes. I don't even know all the dudes. Bless their hearts. Maybe I need to. I need to. But and I'm not trying to be mean. <laughs> but there's not a lot of women, and um, and so it feels that way. But I had to come to terms with the fact that you know that might be what's happening in the industry right now. But that is definitely not truth. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like if another girl is succeeding, or if a record label has their girl. Okay, that doesn't mean that there isn't room for me. There's room for everybody. For me, I think that it is something that I definitely want to encourage other young women. And and I want to be there for all other women in this industry who are like trying to do this. I think and I want to show that there is room for all of us. And it's not a competition. That's the thing. That's the thing that I don't like about all that's going on. It almost makes kind of forces us to feel like we're competing against each other, which is horrible and is not what I want to do. I think that we should all be cheerleaders for each other. So um, I don't know. I think I think for me, like I said, it's something that, yes, I definitely think about, but I can't let it impact me to the point of like what I said that I kind of went through where I was like, oh, crud, like comparing myself and stuff like that. And so now, like I said, my faith is so important to me. And um, this dream that I'm chasing is something I pray about every day and I surrender to the Lord every single day. And um, I think that when, honestly, even though it is an uphill battle and I know that it is tough for women right now in country music, that is something that keeps me content and gives me peace in all of it to know that, you know, God is in control of this and he's in control of what is happening in Nashville right now. I don't know. I think that when I do that, I'm able to just focus on what I'm doing. And instead of worrying about all of that and um, trying to scream louder to get somebody's attention, I just get to focus on my craft. And if it's great, it doesn't matter. It shouldn't matter if I'm a male or a female. It should just be great. Sorry, it took me a minute to get there. Um, no, it's, it's such a great... Yes, yeah. but um, 
I guess that is kind of my advice for other young women who are chasing this dream. You know, yes, it is hard right now, but as for me, I don't really want to scream loud and say, listen to me, I'm here. But if my music is great, my music is great. And it doesn't matter, like I said, if I'm a girl or a guy, it's just great. And people are going to respond to great music, no matter what the industry says. And that's something that's so great about Spotify and Apple. Now that people can really, they make their decisions on what they love, people are going to love the good stuff. You know what I'm saying? Um, They're going to decide for themselves. and, And that's kind of, I don't know. I kind of rambled, but yeah, that's kind of my two cents That's a great answer, though, and, and thank you for, for saying that. I, I appreciate that you're putting yourself out there as a great role model for a lot of other women breaking in, and we need more in the business. Mm-hmm. I, I always say that, man, where are the women music producers? Where, where are know. the girls that want to be engineers, and where are the girls that want to, you know, I mean, there's a lot of girl songwriters, I guess, but, you know, just chase after it. I'm all, all for it. That's one of my big passions, have, being a dad of, of two girls yeah. and being a, a, a husband of one. Mm-hmm. I love seeing that. So thank you for, yeah. for saying all that. Well, yeah, no. And, and thank you for being such a supporter for girls like me. You know what yeah. I'm saying? And, and I will say, although I don't talk about it a whole lot, I am thankful for the attention that has now really been brought to the fact that there aren't a lot of women, like you said, like there, there isn't a lot of room for like women producers and engineers. And, and like I said, just women on country radio, at least now people are talking about it and they're, and they're bringing it to light. And I think that a change is coming for sure. There's an awareness there. Yeah. So man, that's a great place to round out the conversation, but as we're finishing, we were going to dive into our lightning round. I'm ready. Brace yourself. (laughs) Uh, Number one moment on the voice that you were the most nervous talking to Dolly Parton that's a great answer I would be very nervous <laughs> yes I was so nervous I was about to cry yeah, yeah. Uh, favorite country song of all time oh crud um, long time gone by the Dixie Chicks maybe oh I have so many but yeah let's do it good answer, good answer. <laughs> uh, first job you ever had I cleaned buildings at night with my dad that's how I saved up for my first guitar that's awesome. Yeah. That's a great story. Uh, pre-show routine. Well, literally, I pray that I don't forget the words and that the Lord will help me be funny <laughs> and have good jokes. I'm not kidding. That's literally what I do. That's an awesome routine. <laughs> uh, and lastly, favorite stage wear. Anything that moves when I move. So fringe or like a kimono or a duster that like if I like walk from one side to the other, it like flows behind me. Okay. I love stuff that like has movement to it. So like every move I make seems larger than it really is, you know. So it's this, it's about the visual. <laughs> it's that's, about that's the visual. Great. Yeah. I love it. Well, speaking of visual, you are doing some amazing vlogs right now. Yes. And um, I want to deep dive into that. Yeah. How are you making those? How are you producing those? Why are you making them? And we're going to do that in our deep dive. So if people want to check that out, they can go to madeitmusic.com, go to the show notes for this page, as well as finding links to your awesome music, Mm -hmm. which we will, of course, post and broadcast to the universe. Yeah. Emily, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show today. Oh, my goodness. Thank you for having me. And that's a wrap. Thanks for listening. And thanks for checking out all of the deep dives that we've been featuring during this season of our podcast. A deep dive, in case you're newer around here, is just a short bonus interview where we talk about another related topic with the featured guest. And on the deep dive for this episode, we are chatting about best practices for vlogging if you're an artist. 
Vlogging, that's like blogging but with a V for video blogging, can be an amazing way to let fans see behind the scenes, but of course, many musicians try vlogging unsuccessfully. So if you want to learn the right way to do it, go to madeitmusic.com and sign up to get free access to the deep dive. You can get access right there on the homepage at madeitmusic.com and you'll get set up with a free account for our Academy members area. If you would like the show notes and more resources for this episode, you can find those at madeitinmusic.com slash 135. And if you ever have feedback on this podcast and any ideas about how we could improve it as we are planning season three, please let us know. You can use the live chat on our website at fullcirclemusic.com or you can use the contact form at madeitinmusic.com. If you've been enjoying this podcast, we would also love to have you write a review. We read every single review that any of you guys write, and it really does help others who are interested in the music industry discover this podcast as well. Thank you for being awesome. We will see you on the next one. And for now, we will leave you with the title track from the newest EP by Emily Ann Roberts. This is Someday Dream. Someday dream.